Alright. Welcome to Please Don't Send Me in Outer Space. Podcast intent on exploring all that science fiction and fantasy has to offer one movie at a time. My name is Joel today. My name is Sarah. My name's Aaron. movie this week was Lady Hawk from 1985, starring Matthew Broderick, Rutger Hauer, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, who else do I want to mention here? John Wood has Bishop there. Not Bishop from Alien. No good. Alfred Molina. Yeah. And uh, oh, Leo McKern. We'll, we'll mention that guy, too. So, obviously, we got the... You're welcome. What? <laughs> you're welcome to <laughs> mentioning the actor, uh, Leo McKern. If you weren't dead, uh, you're welcome. What was the name of the monk, dude? Oh, I didn't see. What's see, the, I knew I was his name on there. Sorry, I like just, his actual I just character him. name or just his name? What's his real name? Um, I don't know. Which monk? Actually, I'm not sure. Oh, the dude that was with them that yeah. was trying to help them. Is yeah. it Market? His character's name started with an I. Or, no, Im- Imperi- Imperius? Oh, so it's Imperius. Okay, yeah, that's Imperius. the other guy I named. Oh, okay. What's his name? His name is Leo McKern. They've okay. all been in a bunch of cool. other stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly did enjoy that character. That was, that was interesting. I don't know. He looked like a goober to me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. His eyes were a little offset. You know, I couldn't tell. I, I think that was just his clothes. He came to set like that. <laughs> I'm ready for the movie. <laughs> Rolled out of a hay bale somewhere, and they're like, him, grab it. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. <laughs> How would you like food for the day? <laughs> would you like to be in a medieval movie? By the way, we're going to do everything medieval, including the sleeping arrangements. <laughs> <laughs> everything was medieval, except for the soundtrack. <laughs> hey, man. Alan Parsons, dude. Alan Parsons. Yep. That's pretty amazing. It was a pretty funky soundtrack. I remember that from the one other time I had seen this, but I basically remembered nothing else except for the fact that it's a lady hawk. <laughs> <laughs> it holds true to its name, at the very least. <laughs> totally. I'd, yeah, I'd never seen it before, so this is first time for me, Aaron. Uh, maybe my third time, maybe mm. fourth time. Yeah. This is a like a beautifully shot movie in my opinion. Like I think the sets and the environment, I don't know where it was shot. Maybe yeah, I mean like I said before, Canada or Scandinavia, you were saying, sir. It like the backgrounds and the costuming, like leagues ahead of, say, Hawk the Slayer or uh even Sword and Sorcerer, I think. There there's a it felt 
more real than either of those two movies. But uh, the soundtrack has in common, like the fantasy movie soundtracks we've been watching. I think they've been way better than the sci-fi movie, and that's kind of crazy. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, well, I mean, with the exception of some John Carpenter films. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I have to say, outside outside of John Carpenter's directed films, where he makes his own soundtracks. Yeah, there's no. There's nothing quite like Hawk the Slayer soundtrack mm-hmm. or this one too. It's just yeah. it it just it punches you in the face. <laughs> yeah. You you're sitting there and all of a sudden your head starts going mm, bobbing, bobbing, bobbing. Yeah. It's very uh jovial. There's like, <laughs> there's like a couple moments too where like the soundtracks sound effects like affect uh, almost feel like they're affecting the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like when Matthew Broderick first falls like through this part of the catacombs or the sewer system, like you hear in the background like a Yeah, as yeah. It's falling. Like a laser <laughs> effect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and certainly during some of the fighting scenes too. Uh, yeah. there's some like some pretty amazing uh connections that kind of that kind of bring they just drag you right into that movie and you're just like, "Whoa, what's going to happen next?" Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's cool. This, uh, I forgot to mention, this is directed by Richard Donner, who we know from The Goonies and from uh, Superman 1 and part of 2, I think. Part of 2. And Lethal Weapon 1, 2, 3, 4. That's like his baby. Written by Edward Kamara, Michael Thomas, Tom Mankiewicz, and Edward Kamara again. Why is he on there twice? (laughs) David Webb Peoples. Sorry, I'm going off the cuff, obviously. <laughs> so, Lady Hawk is a story about love. And there's nothing more romantic than Matthew Broderick. <laughs> Opinion? Well, Joel. Uh <laughs> Gonna say I haven't been in a relationship with Matthew Broderick, so I'm not entirely sure his romantico uh, sort of state. Uh, but but I will say he had a pretty awesome haircut. Yeah, I think everybody had a pretty '80s hairdo. What year was this made? Eighty-five. Eighty-five. Wow. So labyrinth was like eighty-one. Hmm. Let me check the old spandometer. L A B. No, actually, eighty-six. Labyrinth was nineteen eighty-six. Yes. Really? No, I'm making it up. Yes, it says nineteen eighty-six. There's a movie that. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of Ghostbusters. No, not Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters is. There's a movie I was really into as a kid that I found out later came out the year I was born. Eighty-four. And that it was released on video when I was a little kid. Hmm. So this was before Labyrinth. Yes. There were there were things in this that reminded me of the Labyrinth, and actually, it kind of reminded me of this. <laughs> it's kind of funny when I was a kid. Did I talk about this on the one we did about Labyrinth? I don't know. What are you going to say? <laughs> um, that there is a trailer. <laughs> On my recording of the labyrinth, uh, that yes, scared you, the you crap did mention this, but uh, it reminds me of that movie too, which is called "In the Name of the Rose," which oh. 
by the way, is a very bizarre dark movie starring Sean Connery. It takes place in the Middle Ages. Oh, yeah. And all kinds of dark, gross stuff happens in it. <laughs> they had it as a trailer before The Labyrinth for oh, some reason on my tape. Makes sense. <laughs> I mean, if it was a mu- if Labyrinth was considered a Muppet movie, the the Muppets originally were like basically uh, for older people entertainment. They weren't aimed towards children, you know. So I wonder if that's what they thought the audience of the the kind of people who would be going to see Labyrinth would be also. The the intended audience for The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth both were supposed to be a more adult, yeah, oriented film. Well, at least that's what they write about it anyways. Mm. They say, but I mean, I was all about them as yeah. a kid, you know. I, I wish my parents had showed this this movie to me too. I think I really would have been pretty involved in this one too. But I mean, I guess it is more is it, is it more violent? I mean, there's some sword fights. I mean, I did see, like, Prince of Thieves when I was a kid, too, so... Mm, I think I'd say yeah. Prince of Thieves is more violent yeah. than this. Yeah, I went to the theater to see that, so... Wow. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that, but that's a 90s movie, so yeah. you were at least a bit older. Yeah, that's true. This, let's see, the most violent way too thing young. that happened in here was probably the bear trap to poor mm. Alfred Molina. Oh, yeah, rest in peace, man. Yeah. That guy did not... He didn't last long. It was very unexpected. I think that's why it was like because we were. I mean, uh, let's before we get let's too get deep into it. Into let's it, let's, it. let's yeah. synopsize the movie. Who wants to give a quick summary? I'll do it. All right. Um, Lady Hawk is a movie that is centered around a monk? Question mark. The bishop. No, the Matthew Broderick character. Oh no, he's a thief. He's he's a scoundrel. He's a thief who claims to have religious persuasion. <laughs> um, and I think that they shot this movie like serious as a heart attack. To be honest, like I think that they added in a little bit of humor from some of the characters here and there, but I I feel like the actors, aside from Matthew Broderick, were all really serious. Mm-hmm. You see him, the thief, escape from prison in the beginning, and he's kind of stumbling around the countryside, which is, it's, like, very convincingly done. Like, convincing castle, convincing antique water system, (laughs) convincing hillsides that are very rural near a castle, they they went the extra mile to make it seem like you were really there and that it was, you know, pretty primitive. And then, basically, when he's about to get apprehended by some guards to take him back to jail, he runs into this character Rutger Hauer plays, and he is just this badass that has a hawk, and he helps him escape. And then Matthew Broderick's character is sort of indebted to him, and he basically ends up on this journey with Rutger Howard's character, and he carries a hawk with him everywhere. As one does. (laughs) And um, basically, Rutger Howard disappears at night, and then uh, Michelle Pfeiffer appears. (laughs) And he starts to wonder what the heck's going on. Yes. 
It is the mystery. And uh, when when he disappears and Michelle Pfeiffer appears, the bird is gone and a wolf appears. So that's basically where it leaves you. And he's mystified by mm. this. He doesn't know what to do. Matthew Broderick. Is, yes. He keeps yes. talking to God, man. Yeah, he turns to God every single every time. Every single time. At first he does, and eventually they kind of just drop that. It's like after the point where... They meet up with the monk who uh, perpetrated the, the curse, like, made it so that it could happen in the first place. Matthew Broderick mentions God one more time and how he talks to him. But, and then it's kind of, from there, it's like the the train to, like, the end of the movie. But a lot of the time, it's Matthew Broderick talking to himself, a.k.a. talking, I mean, a.k.a. also you know, he's he's talking to God in the movie, but I think you know th- this movie came out before Ferris Bueller, but uh, it's it's almost the same thing, like talking to the camera, yeah, you know, like breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, there's thing. a lot, there's a little bit of that going on. For yeah, sure. that's kind of his shtick. Yeah, it was. I mean, <laughs> this is like established his shtick. It seems like. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that it was a good role for him, and I think that he definitely showed kind of who he was as an actor and who he could potentially be based on this role. Yeah. He was good enough. I mean, he showed range. He mm-hmm. was in his 20s, though. I, I wonder if he if he had actually been younger, if he had been, uh, would have been able to show the range that he does in the movie. Uh, I think other than not being able to hold his accent the whole time, he does pretty good. Or were there a couple moments where he broke? Yeah. Yeah, but I think that it's kind of impressive that he was able to do one at all. Right. Because yeah. I don't think Michelle Pfeiffer even tried. No. I think she was no. just like, it's not going to happen. It's better off that way. And Rudger Hauer was like attempting to do an American, I think. I mean, he's, I, you know, I don't think I've ever heard him speak his native language, so I don't even know. What that would sound like. He has an accent in Blade Runner. He had an accent in this, too. Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. But it's, like, stronger in Blade Runner, I feel. I feel like he was trying to sound English in this one. Sometimes. Okay. I'm not sure. No, I can see that, though. I can can agree with you, Joel. It's about time you agreed with me. Yeah. (laughs) Happens every now and then. My foil. (laughs) But that soundtrack... I loved it. I loved it. As inappropriate as it was in certain scenes, <laughs> it, it really brings a certain charm to this movie that, that I, I want to watch it again, like, already. Yeah, like, I kind just, of would, like, do. I think I'd just listen to the soundtrack again, although I, I wouldn't mind watching the movie again. It's not, like, it was good. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's good. I don't remember liking it. I remember thinking... When I saw it, I saw it one time with my Aunt Chris, probably when I was like 12 or 13. And I remember not liking it and being kind of maybe bored by it. That's what I was thinking about for kids is that like, it might be a little bit boring or Uh like a little bit, the concepts might be more difficult for a kid to get behind. I don't know. But... It was funny because I, the bad guy, the bishop who put the curse on them, which basically makes it so that one of them is always an animal at the same time that the other one is always a human so that they can never be together. 
but um, they stay together anyway. He keeps her as a hawk during the day when she's the bird, and then she keeps him at night when he's a wolf. But And neither remembers their time as an animal when they're a human, though. So No, their animal time is spent as a real-life animal. Yeah. Like, their soul is in that animal, but it's like they're, they aren't aware of their experience as a human. Which I think is kind of cool that they took the time to explain that, because... Yeah. Because a lot of the time in movies, if somebody can be an animal, they're still themselves in the animal. Like, mm. I think it's kind of a unique take on, but I don't know. I guess werewolves are kind of that way, too. Like, when a werewolf changes, mm. they usually are just, like, berserk, and then they come to, and they're like, I can't believe I did that. It depends yeah, on the lore, right? That's the yeah. thing, though. <laughs> Typically, that's a... In, in the story, that's just to be used to, like, to implicate more guilt for them having mm-hmm. that curse. Yeah. At least, mm-hmm. as, at least as far as the werewolf is concerned. Oh, cool. I feel, well, because, you know, the character's always like, no, I, what, I did that again, no. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. True. Not in Twilight, though. Those guys know exactly what they're doing. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just stare blankly at Joel for a moment. Uh, yes, no, I, I see what you're saying, though. Team Jacob, right? It yeah. is um, the concept of like, like your soulmate being someone you can never be with, but always constantly be near, is like so good of a story concept. It's it's really it's like Greek myth level of fairy tale creativeness. Yeah, um, yeah. And you just like the longing. The heartache you must feel, being like this is the the person that I love is here, but they're not here, and they don't know who I am, and they will never know who I am, as long as we are cursed. It's like yeah, and I think I think Rucker Howard does a really good job of showing that he is constantly in like this kind of pain, you know, longing pain. Michelle Pfeiffer. I like her in this movie, but she's she does seem aloof compared to him. She seems to uh, she seems sassy. I don't know any other way to say well, it. You have you have to take into account their situation. Daytime is Rucker Howard's time. Like most of the time, he is active during the day, right? Or at least as a human. You know, she's active as a human during the night, and I feel that he probably has a little bit more options as far as where they're going, what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Travel during the day is probably, I mean, just yeah. travel during the day just seems more likely and more probable. Uh, whereas for her, she probably has to just chill, you know, yeah. like uh, there's a wolf around that's, that, that, you know, is the guy I want to marry, but I don't know where we're going to go. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I feel that, I feel that. So, so yes, I agree with you that it, it seems like he, is definitely more agonized, melancholy, melancholy about it. But I think it's because he literally has to make the decision where they're going next, like all the time, and that's pretty. I mean, and no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that she's she got off scot free. I mean, I'm sure she's in turmoil as well. But I agree with you. She was kind of, I mean, at least with Matthew Broderick, it was just kind of like, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I was thinking the whole time that like. He d- 
definitely brought it in terms of, like, his acting that Rudger Howard was, like, he didn't need a woman there to express how he felt about his love, you know? Which is, like, that's, like, next level acting. That's, like, acting against a mask, you know, or whatever, like a stone wall. You're basically doing all the work yourself. And I feel like in Michelle Pfeiffer's acting, again, I don't think there could have been a better woman cast in the role or anything, but I feel like the writing for her was less, and maybe her performance as well, was less of a desperate longing for him. But I also think that like, it was the fact that he was a man and she was a woman that like, she comes to in the evening and there's some dude checking her out and she's like, Oh God. Oh God. Here we go again. Like I'm in some strange place and there's some, you know, I'm having to have this banter with some new person that is around or whatever. And I don't know. I feel like she's sassy because she has to be tough when she's on her own. Yeah. And that's probably why they wrote her that way. But I feel like they didn't have to have, chemistry against each other at all and i don't know if they did honestly in the very moment few moments they have together on screen but they didn't have to because it wasn't really about that it was about their situation yeah apart you know yeah their facebook relationship yes very complicated (laughs) status status complicated complicated. (laughs) also i'm an i'm a hawk sometimes (laughs) yeah no, yeah. you, you're probably right. It was probably just not written so that she had more to do with it. The heroines of movies in the 80s were more badass than they are now, I feel like. They were like, They're you know, tough. the ones in like... Ripley? John- or she's 70s, but still yeah. Ripley. Oh, I'm, try- I'm trying to think what you... Because I, I feel like people nowadays and like in the starting maybe as far back as the late nineties started to like give women the, the damsel in distress role, at least a little bit of like punch to her character. Like, Oh, she's not afraid to slap some guy who's, uh, you know, the guard or whatever, or she'll try to stab somebody, but like they'll, they'll twist her wrist so that she has to drop the knife or something like that. They give, they give him a little edge and, and Michelle Pfeiffer, in this movie, doesn't she doesn't get a chance to do anything. I mean, she is just hiding. She had that yeah. dagger, though. She had that dagger. Oh, that's tr- oh yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm so. I'm oh, so dude, don't worry, because I'm totally don't forgetting worry. the whole Alfred Molina part where she yeah. goes out in the rain. Well, you want to talk about it earlier, but you know, you didn't want to get ahead of yourself. Yeah, so. yeah. No worries. Yeah, yeah. She bear trapped to the there. face. My new metal band, bear trapped to the face. The mm-hmm. edge that I feel like girls had in the eighties when they were like the leading lady that was a bit tough was like a punk rock edge like in John Hughes movies is that what his name is Yeah Yeah and like some kind of wonderful and like in pretty and pink and stuff I feel like the edge that the girls have is like they have short hair and they can be kind of lippy about things with people and they can say you know this is 
like in some kind of wonderful, she says, this is the 1980s. A woman can be anything she wants to be now. Like it, nice. that was the nice. attitude back then. Like get, get with the program, dude. (laughs) (laughs) They just have to work four times as hard or whatever. I think that it shouldn't be necessary to have an attitude to be portrayed as like a strong character. But at the same time, I feel like we went so much backwards in the nineties, like with some of the roles that women had. I don't know. All I can think about is Trinity in the Matrix. So, you know, that's that's just an example of somebody who, uh, a woman who could hold her own in the movies. That's not that's not the example. So, yeah, that's true. And my brain is the the problem here, not not the facts. The facts are on your side. My brain is just like. Yeah, Trinity's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shut up, brain. <laughs> that's not even a fantasy movie. <laughs> Let's talk about I don't know what what do, what do you guys want to talk about about this movie? I feel like there's lots of stuff to dig into. Oh my into. gosh. Well, uh maybe maybe we should just describe our our favorite scene. Is that a thing we want to do? Do you have a favorite scene? Do I have a favorite scene from Lady Hawk? Sarah 1980 <laughs> what? Lady Sarah, what's my favorite scene? <laughs> You don't have one. That's okay. <laughs> I don't know, man. The, the movie, like, this is a two-hour-long movie, but I felt like it. I th- yeah. felt like it flew by, yeah. much like a ladyhawk would. Oh, nice, but, nice, uh, nice, <laughs> nice. Are, are you familiar with the indie musician Ladyhawk? No. Okay. She's cool. Isn't that what a uh, hawk from GI Joe when he goes out on the town puts on a wig? He's Ladyhawk. We were making jokes that Rudger Hauer turns into <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer at night. Well, because at first you don't know. He's just <laughs> at first you just see him Rutger disappear. Rudger Hauer during the day, Michelle Pfeiffer at night. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's hanging out with the hawk. He's like, Matthew Broderick, go outside, you know. And then when Matthew Broderick comes back in, all of a sudden Michelle Pfeiffer's there. Like, And, and before he leaves, uh, <laughs> Rutger Hauer has this dress he's, that he's just like rubbing on his face. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, like the first scene, we were just like, "Why? What's uh, what's going on here, dude?" <laughs> My favorite dress. <laughs> just you just stole a young man from the from the woods, and now you're <laughs> rubbing dresses on your face. You know, <laughs> <laughs> a lady comes out of a shed later on. <laughs> that would be a hell of a curse, too. I mean, that would have worked. Yeah. Like, yeah. we can never be together because we've been cursed to become the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that that has like a almost like a weird weird uh, alma, uh, uh, mutation of like the concept of being a trans person, like yeah. being in love with yourself, who is also this other person. I don't know. I was thinking of like Gemini, like oh, yeah, yeah. like a duality of like the same person, Giannis, the god Giannis with the two faces. Or the movie The Mayor Has Two Faces. Or The Origin of Love Harvey by Hedwig and Dent. the Angry Inch. Yeah, Harvey Dent. Yeah, in love with himself. <laughs> Played by Tommy Lee Jones. That's right. <laughs> De- That's right. Deborah Messer, I think. Or, no, wait, what's her name? Deborah. No, you know what? Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a. Uh, I mean, do you guys have a favorite scene? Uh, you were asking. Yeah, I do. 
Oh, go ahead. Oh, did you want me to lead on that? Sorry. No, no, sorry. I, I threw the question. I apologize. My favorite scene is um, the part where the, it's sunrise and they see each other for one second. Mm. Probably because it is like the moment that like the other parties there, like Matthew Broderick and stuff, see like that, th- see the transition happen and they get like a glimpse of being able to be together. And I think that it was done really well. And there's this part where Rutger Howard's face is transitioning from the wolf into the man, and it looks like this double exposure photography shot by Man Ray with the cat and the face in it. Yeah, I think artistically it was done really well, the the whole style of the movie. It'd be nice to see in HD, though. Yeah. I mean, I hate to... Hate to complain and nitpick, no, but I, I agree it would be nice complaint. to see it even like clearer. I mean, there's Blu-rays of the the thing, but for some reason, streaming there is no HD high quality. Available. Yeah, at least not easily. I'm sure I could have come upon one illegally, but you know, I don't like to do that. <laughs> you yeah. wouldn't steal a car, would you? I mean, what kind of car? <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Uh, well, oh, uh, I was gonna say there is only one point in the movie uh, effects-wise where I did think it was kind of a stinkeroo because everything, like the, the stunts and the the fighting and the transitions, like you were saying, uh, uh, the only one that I was like, "Oh, that looks really janky," was when the <laughs> when the hawk gets shot by that arrow. Oh yeah, it's like obviously like a puppet. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I know. I know they're not gonna shoot a real hawk, but <laughs> it's. They could have done it like in shadow or something like that. It's like <laughs> that, yeah, that moment where you just like see a hawk in mid-flight, and then there's this, a quick cut to like the animatronic or the, the puppet one, and then you see the arrow hit it like boom. But there's like no like actual like, like yeah. background I don't think it's, yeah, it's, showing it's, it's that the hawk's still flying. Yeah, yeah, that was a little rough. <laughs> it's it's that eagle guy from the Muppet Show. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Been hit by an arrow. <laughs> Very embarrassing. <laughs> oh my gosh! Do you have a favorite moment? Here? I think I think my favorite moment is 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 probably like near the beginning when they're doing a lot of the established shots where where uh, Matthew Broderick's character is trying to get away from from the catacombs from mm-hmm. the from the cathedral and everything and and he, he so like you know he steals some clothes and he's stuffing up his shirt. You know, very convincingly that, you know, no, I just have a pot belly, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that whole kind of uh, montage, I guess, of him escaping. Uh, it looked cold when he was like, when he came up, when, when he was just like walking in the woods. Yeah. And you could see he like, he, he was very physically like, like I mean, he was, was like. no around. Yeah, it, was, it, it wasn't cold. a set. <laughs> it looked cold and he had very thin like clothes on and he's just like like you know just lurching around but i I did like the bar scene that was my favorite i think right Mm -hmm. there at the beginning when uh when he throws coins at the uh at the guy and he starts boasting about the fact that he escaped and everything i thought that scene was pretty good that's when i was in the kitchen flowing around it was pretty good Mm -hmm. pretty good fight scene it's like a bunch of guards are like oh really oh but they're all all, you see they're all like disguised in these like cloaks and things yeah it's a pretty cool like yeah it felt it moment. felt like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Yeah, totally. Like, totally would have happened to me, like random encounter or some part of the store in someone's D and D campaign. 
That's what it felt like. It's like a one-player D&D campaign. I mean, we'd be playing as Matthew Broderick for the most part, I feel yeah. like. Not, not mixing and matching with the... Yeah, Record Hauer's character is not a playable character. Yeah. I agree. He's very NPC. Not, not Lady Hockey, either. Nope. I Miss feel Hawk? like he'd be like a paladin that like never spoke. Yep. <laughs> and had like some true higher purpose that he never like went away from, but it's yeah. like instead of a religious calling, it's like his his code to protect the hawk or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it would be a difficult you, I think that he's just so good in this movie. Yeah. I think that he makes the movie really good. Oh, yeah. Mm. He is one of my favorite actors. Like, anytime I see him, I'm like, oh, it's Rutger Hauer. You know, it's not just because I love Blade Runner, but, you know, I also love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, That the movie. You know, oh, my gosh. That movie is fun. That movie was a big deal for me as a kid. It's a big deal for me now. <laughs> I I watched that obsessively. I had it on VHS, and I had a poster nice. in my room of nice. it. Yeah. We'll have to cover it, because yeah. I think you and I, and, and, and probably Aaron, yeah, Aaron, I'll want to see it again. There's it's like, been a long time. There are people who don't know about that movie. Oh, there are people yeah. that hate it, because they love the TV show so much that they're just like, that movie's trash. It's all about what happens with uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar. And it's like, I understand that that is a good show, and uh, that that's cool, but the movie, if you could just separate the movie from the TV show, it's so much fun. Is it the origin of that story, too? It was all, yeah, yeah. I mean, was the that, movie, was the movie the original concept of it, or did it come from something else before that? You know, I, I'm not too well-versed, unfortunately. I believe it is, uh, I mean, that's Joss Whedon. Yeah. And uh, I believe, yeah, he, like, it is his concept, but the movie was not how he wanted it to be done. Which is why oh. he then made a TV show, right? Well, yeah. It's fun the way, like, Clueless is fun. Yeah. It's dated now, but it's awesome. Yeah. Paul Rubens, man. Yeah, Paul Rubens. Paul Luke, Luke Perry. Perry. Freaking yeah. Donald Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Ben Affleck for a split second. <laughs> <laughs> But Lady Hawk, <laughs> if I had to pick a favorite scene from Lady Hawk, I think it would be the uh, after we get Alfred Molina out. Because she, in the scene, uh, Isabeau exits the barn, and the first thing she sees is all these wolf pelts, these bloody wolf pelts on a horse. And starts freaking out, you know. Obviously, she she immediately assumes that uh, um, it's him. Navar, no, what is his name? Navar, Navari. I just call him Rucker Hauer. Yeah, David Navari. <laughs> what is the name of it? David Navarro. Navarro. <laughs> David Navarro as a wolf. Yeah, <laughs> he thinks he is a wolf. with guy liner. <laughs> Lots of guy liner. Yeah, she thinks it's him, Rucker Hour, and that's gives Alfred Molina like if I find Isabeau, I know I'm going to find the wolf. So he runs off, she chases after, Matthew Broderick's freaking out, and then we have this like forest, like nighttime forest hunt going on where Isabeau is trying to find Alfred Molina before she he can kill the wolf. 
Alfred Molina is laying down these bear traps and we see them covering up. And it's it's kind of like on the edge of your seat, like she's going to step on one of these. And she almost does. She goes around them and it's like, oh my gosh. And they they pull a double cross on us, which is really good because you do hear the wolf get caught. It's like, oh no, no, no. The wolf gets caught. She runs over to the wolf and Alfred Molina's like, aha, finally I've caught this thing. And then all of a sudden... The actual wolf shows up. Like, he was back there. Like, aha, that's my brother. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You thought it was me. He was running with a pack that night. (laughs) uh, Gotta make some friends somehow when you're a wolf. Yeah. (laughs) He's not, he's he's been the lone wolf for too long. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All those wolf pelts. Uh, He did look really cool. Melina, Melina's character. Was I thought he was like cool gonna look. be like a wizard or something like that because he, look, yeah, he looked like, uh, like I said, he looked like the leader of the biker gang from Mad Max. He had like these like spiky gauntlets mm. and yeah, like that whole like out. Princess Mononoke wolf pelt mm. thing going on. Craven the Hunter. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. But he gets it. Like I think Isabel takes him out, right? Basically, she like trips him and he lands face first into a he was trip. he was attempting to attack her, and he's yeah, there was a struggle. He fell, yeah. and his he was his own undoing. Yeah, it was nice to see Alfred Molina. He was cool. Yeah, he's he cool. Extra weird weirdo bad guy oh, yeah. for a minute using an English <laughs> accent. Yeah, yeah, that's always fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're Isabel. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I was going to mention about that monk, though. But the reason why I really enjoyed his character. Imperius? Imperius was because his voice reminds me of Gimli, mm. the dwarf yes. from the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> like, a lot. Oh, like, it's cool. a lot. Like. So, that scene you were talking about that was your favorite scene, they, like, dig a ditch. Yeah. And what is the purpose of the ditch? Well. Like, was it to block out the sun long enough for them to maybe. see each other? I, I felt that it was more of a terrain issue. They needed to sleep somewhere, but because the, they were in, like, super Arctic weather, mm-hmm. uh, digging down may have I think they all, like, just rolled the together into, like, a burrito sleeping <laughs> yeah. bag so that they could yeah. stay warm. I see. Yeah, so, and, and probably digging down meant that the winds would could, um... Not would, hit them. Not hit them. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, uh, I'm guessing that's a wilderness survival thing. I got that merit badge in the Boy Scouts, but I can't. Oh, see, yeah, they're digging in the hole. Yeah. (laughs) Saving wolves from uh, ice. Yep. (laughs) Going to the cave. Ice flow, nowhere to go. I was going to say, though, the actor that um, is the bad bishop or whatever. Bad bishop. (laughs) Bad bishop. (laughs) He... He plays, I, I don't know if it was the direction based on, like, the story or whatever, but he plays a pretty troubled person who's, like, pretty pretty mad most of the time and having nightmares and all kinds of stuff. And, um... He has a spectacular voice. I recognized his face, and I was like, where do I recognize him from? And I was, like, sure that he was a bad guy and a bunch mm. of other stuff. And the reason I recognized him is because... He plays the chauffeur in the remake of Sabrina that mm, they did. Yeah. And I've seen that movie a bunch. Of, I've seen both Sabrinas like a million times. Oh, I see. Yeah. I like that movie. I He looks really familiar as an older man. Yeah. Uh, I did not recognize him in the movie. He's in a ton of other stuff. 
but I realized that was where I knew him from. Yeah. Interesting. Just his voice is so like, yes, <laughs> it is your fault. I was, I was definitely a little upset. His portrayal was great, and I'm not criticizing him as an actor. Why do you hate him? No, no, this has nothing to do with him. Just, the, just the fact that, like, the last little bit of the movie where, when like, there's some pretty awesome fight scenes going on. He's just standing there. Yeah, like it's it's kind of a very kind of awkward moment where you're just like. Does he just not want to leave? Is is it because if he moves, he's afraid he's going to get stabbed? Hmm. Like, I, he's just standing there while there's a lot of action going on. I thought that it was like a logistical issue or something because, <laughs> like, I was picturing them shooting the whole thing and him being, like, in shadow the whole time. Yeah. And them being like, oh, dang, we have to reshoot your whole part and, like, just splice it in. Yeah. And so maybe he wasn't reacting to what was actually happening. I guess that's true. I don't know. <laughs> maybe he was only available one day, so they t- just did a bunch of shots <laughs> of him standing yeah, there. Yeah, maybe they did it separately yeah. or something. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Maybe he thought it was just a foregone conclusion that either he uh, this guy was going to die here or he was going to die and he thought there was no yeah no point. no point to but say anything it kind of shows that he's got like a backbone to that like I've, I'm going to accept my fate no matter what happens yeah, I but guess so of course at the end that's not you know he decides it, he's gonna stab somebody if this was like the labyrinth who's the David Bowie who's the David Bowie um who is the Goblin King of Lady Hawk? That's a good question. I mean, it's probably... It has to be the Bishop, I guess. I feel but. like Rudger Hauer is the one who longs to be... Like, have companionship. But yeah. at the same time, the Bishop is the one that's like... No, I'm just going to see how this plays out. Rudger Hauer is the Hoggle. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dang. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> that part where he leans into Matthew Broderick and he says, I ain't lost my head. I don't think that um, Michelle Pfeiffer would go for Hoggle. No. No, Michelle Pfeiffer is like the Bluto, or the, the Ludo. She's not. I, M- mm-hmm. Matthew Broderick is the Jennifer Connolly. Okay. Is the Sarah. Okay. He is just kind of along for the ride, isn't he? That's I mean, true. He's for the ride. And so and she does fair. befriend him. Yeah. yeah, maybe. I just felt like when he was staring at the end, it was like that part. In so the, awkward. It was so awkward. <laughs> in the, the in the staircase room at the end of the labyrinth, where he's just staring <laughs> at her while she's trying to get through the maze. Yeah. <laughs> and the monk is uh, Sir Didymus. Oh, okay. Obviously. Wow. Wow, yeah. Joel. You call him like you see him. Good, good job. Thank you. You call him like you see him. He is the Goblin King. That's his what? Who? (laughs) And I I have no problem with that scene at the end, other than than the bishop. I feel everything else in that scene is pretty intense, and it's some pretty good payoff. It's it's, it's very action-based scene that's really, it pays off, you know? (laughs) He is not the only religious figure who is not doing anything in that scene. (laughs) I know, the whole room is lined with with holy people. <laughs> Obviously, those holy but. people kind of ruin the ending because <laughs> there's like you catch one or two of them kind of smiling. Like, are you supposed to be smiling at the end when they're like 
Is- Isabeau and uh, Rucker Howard's character are like twirling each other around. A couple of them are kind of clapping. Like, wait, like, wait, whose oh, side are you on? Oh. <laughs> I just saw you. I just saw you kill the bishop. Oh. <laughs> this, is, this is good. I don't like him. Here. Let's clap. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> I guess I'm happy. You said this is after Scarface. Yes, two years after Scarface. That's kind of funny. Yeah. She's really good in that movie. Yeah, I know. I don't like that movie very much, but I think that the acting is done very well. Yeah. And, it's, of course, it's got my favorite, one, of, one of my favorite actors in it. You know what I'm talking about? Nope. Robert Loja. Oh, yeah. Robert Loja. I just like to say his name. That's cool. Do you know who Robert Loja is? Uh, no. Have you seen the movie Big? Yeah. He's the yeah, boss. Tom the Hanks one that like dances on the, that, he dances on the he? keyboard. Get out of here. He raps in it. I know what we're doing next week. No. <laughs> I do like the scene where they're dancing on the keyboard, though. Yeah. Well, Robert Loja is the other guy. Okay. Thank you, Joel. Tom Hanks is Dave Pumpkins. Yes. <laughs> David has pumpkins. <laughs> Sorry, I'm distracted by this terrible looking ad for almost Christmas. Um Yeah. Lady Hawk. So Lady Hawk, huh? Okay, so here's a question. Remember I was saying there was something that was kind of uh, bothering me about the logistics of uh the and uh, what was bothering me the animal transition. Okay, tell like, tell us about it. What, what, what's your props? So they're obviously awake the entire time, both sides. Like when they're animals, they're awake. When they're humans, they're awake. When are they getting any rest? That's a good point. I mean, well, there were a couple points in the movie where like, well, let, let's let's sleep. Let's rest. Oh yeah, that is true. Rucker Howard does actually take a nap at one point. The hawk well, even own. Michelle Pfeiffer's character kind of lays down for a little bit, too. She has nothing to do. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the curse. Maybe, like, I mean, I think they do take naps, but the movie does not show that. Um, I think it's more likely that someone would be like your curse to walk as a man during the day and walk as a wolf at night mm-hmm. and never rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this curse keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's... It reminded me uh the relationship that uh Matthew Broderick had with the two characters made me think of like a stepchild going in between parents like <laughs> listen, I'm dropping you off at your mother's, I need you to tell her a couple of things, blah blah blah. You know, like I'm never That's gonna true. tell her like, all this stuff like that. It was it made me kinda sad. And I start crying. True it- story. Your parents didn't get a divorce. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <clears throat> no, they did play it that way, though, Joel. Because, like, you know, he was he was always trying to like send messages through through Matthew Broderick's character too. He, uh, he kept saying a lot of stuff, and I was like, "Did, did he actually say this?" <laughs> like, I thought he just said, "Tell her I love her," and he was like, yeah, "He said your eyes are like the blah blah blah." It kind of reminded me of movies where, like, someone is telling somebody else, like, hey, go tell this girl this, and that the person who's, like, telling the girl is, like, kind of into them, too. 
where they're just like the messenger, but they're like kind of becoming into the girl as well while they're the messenger. Right. For some reason, I just thought of like Roxanne mm. randomly. I don't know why. I mean, that's, yeah. That's what happens, right? Basically. Yeah. It's yeah. like the Cyrano de Bergerac. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, just just fall on your face. I'll let you. Yeah. <laughs> Cyrano de Animaniacs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever you are, call it. Sure. Anyway, I was talking about a good move now. Insane Prisoner. Who played Insane Prisoner? Oh, yeah, there was it. That was the guy who was rhyming at the beginning. Mm-hmm. He had the little rhyme that he was giving uh, the... What do you want to call him? The the bishops? He like, was like the the captain of the guard. Yeah. There, the Marquette, Marquis, or whatever. Okay. I don't know. But he wasn't much of a character. He kept getting his butt kicked every time. Yeah, pretty much. At the end... Uh, see, there's another problem with the whole end fight thing. It's like, he... The current captain of the guard is getting his butt kicked handily by oh, yeah. Rucker Howard. And then eventually, after he's, like, knocked him off his horse and, like, disarmed him, eventually he does pull Rucker Howard down... The, by the way, there's a horse in the church. Uh <laughs> Two horse church. Yeah. 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 Which I'm pretty sure is against the rules. I don't I haven't read the Bible in a long time, but pretty <laughs> sure. I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to have a horse in the yeah. church, yeah. Yeah, thou shalt not bring the equine beasts into my <laughs> home. But yeah, after at a certain point he pulls him down and he's still kind of kicking his butt. And then eventually he does get the upper hand, but it's like what it's kind of a weird transition. Like, I yeah. don't know why it took him so long to, to suddenly start failing or whatever. Well, yeah, Rutgers Howard's character is supposed to be this, like, master of the swords or whatever, you know? And, and I guess that's what they're trying to go for. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like he... Do kind of clean house. Yeah. I feel like he used to be the guy in charge of the guard. Yeah. And he was like, right. you know what? I'm going to take this guy out because not only am I mad at him, but that was my job or yeah, whatever. Right. And then he's like, I'm going to take the bishop out too because the bishop put this curse on us and we don't need him around anymore. Yeah. So they took the bishop out. So like, I almost feel like even though they don't explain anything, and everybody's just kind of standing there at the end, <laughs> like here we are, like what's going to happen next? I feel like they could have, like, just had new leadership that like wasn't evil right away. Yeah, they could have become. They could have like taken over the whole place right then. I felt like. I mean, it's one one city that doesn't even seem like. They don't do a very good job of establishing how big this city is, but apparently it's it's got an entire population that believes the prisons are in, inescapable. So that that's not a good detail on that part of the story. Everything else is pretty good. Well, it that yeah, it, I felt like that was really D and D. Like some of the stuff was really like. Like, when you're in a and d campaign setting, sometimes you don't know where you are. Yeah. You just know that this is the situation, and you know this is your quest. Mm. And I felt like, in some ways, it didn't feel 
resolved or established as much as sometimes you oh, yeah. feel when you're playing D D. <laughs> totally. I can see that. I think the only detail we may we might have left out about certain things was is that the, the, the monk uh had mentioned that uh there would be a day that was neither night nor day yes. where they could see each other again. It was day without night and night like, without day. day. Like, well, th- that's what it normally is. No, no, at the same time. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, some kind of madman? <laughs> <laughs> sort of wizard. Yeah, I feel like they definitely, like, used that to their advantage because they knew that probably in that time people didn't know what an eclipse was. Right. So, and they, yeah. they they most likely did not. Yeah. 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 But the audience is like, uh, yeah, duh. Well, yeah, because... And by the audience, I mean us. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, we know science way more than they do. Uh, dude. I think they covered that really well in the movie, though, because it's very really believable that Rutger Hauer's character would be like, nah, dude, Yeah, you're there's crazy. no way yeah. you're drunk. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. a drunk monk. <laughs> Get back up in your ruined castle. You're full of crap. Remember when you ratted us out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <pretty> <laughs> he seems pretty forgiving for her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He sends he sends after after she gets oh, yeah, by yeah. the arrow. To that monk, so he trusts them enough to think that he's going to help them, even though he betrayed them in the first place. So they must have had conversations or something. I don't know. Exchanging letters. Dear sir, I'm very sorry I betrayed you. Sorry you turn into a wolf. <laughs> what does he mail these letters? The secret headquarters? Yes. That nobody knows about. They've got a Dropbox somewhere. <laughs> they have a bird. Yes. Yeah, it carries it back and forth. There you go. Obviously, like if you're going to be a bird, a you might, <laughs> might as well make yourself useful. Yeah. <laughs> I felt that could have been a way that they could have um, handled some of their communication issues, too. Let's just leave a note. Like, <laughs> he didn't know how to read. Oh, did he not? I'm okay. just kidding. I have no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though. Like, yes, okay, I'm gonna fold. Here's your lady dress. Here's your lady <laughs> socks. Here's your lady shoes. Here's my little note uh, there, there stating like, how the day was. There was no scrolls or reading of any sort in this movie. Like, even it, when it's actually very probable he didn't know how to yeah. write because uh, that the, was a thing as well, right? You know? Primitive, yeah, yeah. When the monk comes upon the, like, oh, I know how to break the curse thing, he just kind of, like, springs it out of the air. Like, I figured it out. How? Mm." He said God told him. (laughs) Oh, God. I speak to God all the time, sir, and he never mentioned you. (laughs) That's actually a good line. Yeah. So, how does this movie compare to some of the other ones we've covered that handle the same sort of thing? How do you think this compares to Crawl? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, better, worse? I mean, they're two different flavors. I don't I feel, know. I feel, no, oh, come on. Kroll is almost like a Star Wars, yes, in my it opinion. Is, it is, it's true. This is more of like a down-to-earth. I mean, there is mysticism, you know, some magic going on, but it's. I feel that the magic is very limited. This is more of like a almost like a Game of Thrones, in my opinion, but mm-hmm. not as like oh, yeah, yeah. super rapey. Right. <laughs> right. So it's not on HBO, but... Yeah, it's not the HBO level yet, but it definitely has 
you know, a little more edgier than Kroll, maybe, in some aspects. I like it better than Kroll. I like it better than a lot of fantasy movies, but I think that if I'd seen it more as a young kid, maybe, I would I would have, like, a fondness for it the way I do, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer or, like, mm. or like Labyrinth. But because it's serious, it, it's a combination of elements. I think that it holds up a lot better than a lot of other old fantasy movies do. Yes. Um, but I think that the seriousness of the characters and the basis in reality brings it more to a level of maybe the kind of movie somebody would be willing to watch that doesn't like fantasy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe even. No, I I totally see that. More general, maybe more general audience than than what one would expect. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it would probably be more of a crowd pleaser than some other fantasy movies would be. I feel like the soundtrack takes it out of that. That's the only thing. I think that somebody walking into this seeing a fantasy movie would all of a sudden hear that amazing beats being dropped, you know, the, <laughs> the keyboard, electric guitar, and stuff like that, and be like, what the hell is going on here, you know? Okay. Yeah, like, okay. Uh, the I, music definitely throws you to the 80s. Yeah. But the, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that for an 80s movie, it's I take it a lot more seriously than some other stuff. Yeah. I think what really aids this movie is the setting. Mm-hmm. Like the castles, these locations really solidify the fact that this is a fantasy movie. Yeah. You know, I, they just look so authentic and amazing. Yeah. Like, it really it brings you into it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And Kroll has more variety of location compared to this. You know, the the ca- the crystal, ca- you know, uh, caves yeah. that they visit and the, the swamps and the, the mountainous areas and stuff like that. But this, the realism helps in this, and you know, it's like when they're out in the fields, everything is be- like beautiful. Yeah, yeah. He goes out and picks herbs and stuff to try yeah. and help make a poultice or something to like heal her wound. Or yeah, whatever. he's going to heal that bird, and when he comes back, there's a naked lady there instead. True story. I was going to say lady dress and lady socks, but most of the time she's usually just wearing a lady Lady, cloak. Lady cloak. (laughs) That's what they should have called the movie, lady cloak. Lady Lady hawk, man wolf. I see. I'm I'm comparing to this to the other two. So it was Kroll, Sword and the Sorcerer, Hawk the Slayer, and then this movie. I think are all kind of in the same realm. Pretty core fantasy. Kroll is is more Star Warsy. I, I think that this I, I think Sword and the Sorcerer is still my favorite out of the bunch. Mm. Uh, it probably has the least memorable soundtrack because I can't really remember. I think there was some good stuff. Well, Hawk the Slayer wins. Well, I well, think. Yeah, yeah, because that <laughs> I mean that that disco beat. It's just I mean, almost, and, and polka, they, almost not. The funny thing is, it's like it doesn't have the variety of this one, you know. Yeah, but but they they stamp it into your brain so much you just can't you can't be like you're like that guy's got the flute out like. 
Yeah. This one, the guy's like. There was one that there was one part that sounded totally like a Phil Collins song to me from the eighties. And actually, in the opening sequence, for some reason, I was like imagining like one of the newer retro style movies, Mm -hmm. Um, like The Guest. There's this part in the movie The Guest where they're in like a dance hall or something Mm -hmm. and this song drops in and it's so good, I think. I mean, it's kind of a it's a song that's made to sound old and retro and I was like imagining that song like in this movie, and I was wondering what it would what it would do, you know, if you put different music into some of these older movies. But I I definitely think this is cool to experience yeah. as is. Oh yeah. But mm-hmm. I think it would be interesting to see movies have other elements thrown in too. Yeah, that would be a fun experiment to take some movies that you like the soundtrack isn't as good as I would like it to be and like drop in some other stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as the soundtrack was playing along, you just go, somebody once oh. told me. Oh, sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, drop that in. You, you see if it matches you? up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Matches everything. Thank you, Smash Mouth. No. We'd like to dedicate this podcast to Smash Mouth. (laughs) (laughs) R.I.P. So good movie, huh? I liked it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is is fun. This is a good one. Yeah. I liked it even more. Well, I liked it more than I remembered liking it. And I would totally watch it again. Oh, yeah. Yes. I think it is one of the best fantasy movies we have watched so far. But that could just be me not remembering. L- listen, anything's going to be better than no such thing. That that's like the that that's the bottom of the barrel right now. And the top the top of the barrel, I think, is uh, sword and sorcerer. Well, for fantasy, oh. it is uh, for me personally. Oh, but but best film we've but, seen so far. But that's like that could that's arguable. Like it's going to change opinion. Like obviously, we watched my favorite movie, two thousand one. So yeah. I'd have to like say that. But we've watched things that I'd never seen before, and I'm like, yeah, so so glad I saw them. Like I'm not going to tell somebody the best movie I've seen for the podcast is Space is the, is the place, but I am going to tell you you should watch it. You know, <laughs> and I think this movie is like that. That movie is like you need to see this. This. Movie is more like, oh, it's really good. Just, you know, watch it, you know, put it on while you're cooking or something like that. I get it. Yeah, if you haven't seen it and you like fantasy movies or Rutger Hauer. You like Willow, if you like stuff like that. Like, this is a good fantasy movie. Yeah. And it's it's romantic. Like, I think it is legitimately kind of romantic. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it was like hugely famous. I don't know if it was like a big box office hit or not, but no, me neither. But um it was one that I know of more than other movies. It's got a good name. <laughs> yeah, Lady Hawk's a good name. I can see why Lady Hawk, the musician, chose Lady Hawk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially for her album Lady Hawk. Says the budget was twenty thousand, but it only made or twenty million, and it only made eighteen million in the U.S. So twenty million dollars. Yeah. Well, it's because they they built all that you know snow. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe they were like on location and like I don't know where 
yeah. Croatia oh, I'm sure they were, or yeah. Transylvania or something. Canada. Transylvania, yeah. Dracula. That's where she got the idea for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. I'm going to say there were a few things which I which I felt influenced other things in this movie. Some of the armor and stuff kind of reminds me of stuff that shows up in Berserk. Right. Actually, you mentioned that, and, yeah. and, and the more the more I looked at it, I was like, yeah. Like, some of those helmets and stuff just felt like almost straight out of it. Makes me wonder if it's based on, like, actual real armor and stuff yeah. like that. But it's cool. it's cool stuff to look at. Cool costuming. Yeah. The only thing that doesn't really fit in is some of the haircuts. <laughs> yeah. And the yeah. soundtrack, of course. I thought the costumes were really good for this period. Usually when I'm watching a movie that's supposed to be set in a certain period, the costumes are like a dead giveaway for like the real era. And this one definitely did have a little bit here and there, but they're the only outfit that I saw that I was like, this is really not the right kind of fabric was at the end when when Matthew Broderick was in the church and he had that hood over oh, his head. Yeah. <laughs> That looked like it was like a terry cloth or yeah. something. Like, and I'm sure it was supposed to look like something else that they did have back then, yeah. but that was the only fabric choice that I was like, nope. Was, <laughs> Not that one. That's for the altar boys to throw on real quick and take it off real quick. <laughs> I just looked it up and all the filming was done in Italy. Italy? Oh. No wonder it was expensive. Wow. So That's there cool. Part, there are parts of Italy that I like, I, I, man, it's really beautiful. It yeah. looks. Mountainous and like foresty and wow, cool. Yeah, cool. So next week, uh, assuming that something doesn't get in the way, we're going to be joined by Mr. Scott Cherry to talk about his pick, which is Masters of the Universe. I haven't seen that movie since I was in elementary school, I guess, but I remember lots of stuff about it. Mostly Billy Barty's character being weird. And uh, there's a part where they have a bucket of chicken and they freak out because it's an animal. Oh, you're going to love it, Joel. Yeah. That's one of my faves. I don't know if I've ever seen it. He-Man. He-Man. I find that surprising. I mean, you like She-Ra and He-Man, didn't you? I loved He-Man. Yeah. He-Man was like my hero. He still is. (laughs) He-Man was My name is Adam. Best. I wouldn't get ready for school in the morning because I was so glued to He-Man. <laughs> His theme song was good. I like He-Man. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait yeah. to watch it. It's going to be good. Uh, so let me read this outro stuff to you guys. Like a, a relaxing bedtime story. But don't fall asleep because you have to give me some lessons. Okay, Joel. Lesson that you learned from this movie, Lady Hawk, from 1985. Go to sleep and good night. No, wait, I just said not to do that. Don't go to sleep and don't go to night. What? Can can I add thank you, Will, for uh, recommending this movie for us? Oh, yeah, this was Will. Will put this on the list for us, so. Thanks, Will, for the recommendation. Yeah, Will. Pretty good choice. I guess. (laughs) Email any suggestions or comments you have to please don't podcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or the podcatcher of your choice. 
Like us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash PDSMIOS. And you can follow us on Twitter at Outer Space Pod. If you subscribe to us on iTunes, please leave us a star or written rating. That increases our visibility, gets us more listeners, and we'd really appreciate it. Thank you in advance. Uh, special thanks to David DeRoy for our theme music, Jed Dowtry for our podcast logo, and to Spencer Seams, our families, and our friends for all the support. Couldn't do what we do without you guys. Thank you very much. You guys want to thank anyone personally? Yeah, I'd like to give a shout out to my Aunt Chris and my mom, who I usually give props to on the recordings, but also to my three badass younger sisters. Mm. They're the best. Mm-hmm. Aaron, do you have anybody? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, sh- shout out to my family, too. I'm very thankful that... uh I have a very supportive family that's awesome and also enjoys lots of nerdy things. And I'm very thankful to be married to a very nerdy wife. So thank you, Campo, for putting up with me. (laughs) And, um, yeah, that's all I got. And I'd like to say thank you to my brother, Kim, who uh, harangued me because we didn't release an episode the other week. (laughs) And said, uh, what's up with that? What am I supposed to do? (laughs) I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We're going to release Gattaca soon. We just had to take a week off. Uh 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 Uh-huh. Where's that episode? No, just kidding. It's good good to hear he's enjoying that. Thanks a lot, Kim. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. And the rest of the Utah clan. Love you guys. Thanks to anyone who I know who's listening that I don't know is listening, because there's a lot of people I know that probably aren't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so thanks to anybody who's listening. Thank, thank you, unknown listener. Yeah. We, don't, we appreciate not, you. We're, we're not, like, going out there and singing the tunes, like, hey, have you listened to my podcast? You know, that's probably super annoying to people. <laughs> <if> you do. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I hardly ever ask people about it because I don't want them to feel bad if they're like, no, I haven't listened to it. So if you do, thank you. Thanks. And make sure to stop by the comic book store. Aaron will give you a kiss. So do you guys have a lesson? <laughs> Here he goes again. More, more likely a high five. Uh, I kiss. <laughs> He'll sell you one of his awesome goblin drawings. Just, yeah. send, just send you send in an email. Maybe we can arrange something. Um, <laughs> do you guys have a lesson I from didn't. this movie? My lesson is Joel's my pimp. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! My lesson is: if you feel like you're in love with somebody, maybe you should just elope. Because, like, a bishop might curse you or something. Mm. And then you and then you won't be able to be together. <laughs> it's good, I don't that's know. a good lesson. I don't know. My lesson, my lesson from this movie is that if you've escaped from a prison that's inescapable, and you've walked through the mountains, almost froze to death, and you, you almost got killed by some people who found you finally, that, you know what? I'm sure there's some clothes on a clothesline somewhere, and they'll fit you perfectly fine. <laughs> because apparently in this universe, everyone's the same size. Yes. Yeah. That's what I learned. One size fit all. Peasant size. And- <laughs>
anytime any of them found clothes for themselves or each other, it all fit. They were all right. He found that dress for her. He found the clothes for him. Later, he finds that robe, and it fits him perfectly. Yeah. One size fits all peasants. That's nice. Mm -hmm. Good lesson. Thank you. My lesson is, if you are making any sort of movie, fantasy, science fiction, drama, uh, action... Any you name it, any kind of movie. I re- highly recommend you watch this movie, or you watch Hawk the Slayer, so that you know what your soundtrack should sound like. Because you cannot go wrong with a rocking, cool beat soundtrack. Dude, Alan Parsons and his projects, man. I salute mm. you, sir. <laughs> I salute. You. There's nothing quite like it. John Carpenter, man, mm-hmm. he's a. We are blessed. And you should listen and learn. <laughs> we'll see you next week, folks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. See ya.